from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. You've probably heard it said that hindsight is 2020. It's a popular phrase used to demonstrate that it's easy to know the right thing to do after something has already happened. Looking back at a situation after the fact, usually gives you more clarity about what was really going on. And yet today, many people won't look to history to learn its lessons, instead repeating the same mistakes over and over. They won't even avail themselves of the simple benefit of hindsight. A clear look back on our history, the history of socialism, and ultimately the history of mankind going back to the Garden of Eden, and the fall of mankind into sin would dispel quite a few myths, including the myth of the false utopia continually promised by mendacious politicians and lapped up by the next naive generation. Why is a false view of human nature ultimately harmful? Dr. D. James Kennedy takes a look at that vital question in his message, Where Did We Go Wrong? Now may we turn to the Word of God as it's found in the second and third chapters of the book of Genesis. Chapter 2, verse 16. This is what is commonly known among theologians as the covenant of works. May we hear the inspired word of the living God. 2.16 of Genesis. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye ye shall not surely die? For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. 
And may God speak to us today through this, his holy word, and may his name evermore be praised. Amen. If I were to ask you today what were the two most important events in the history of this world, I wonder what you'd say. Well, I'm sure some might say the discovery of fire, the invention of the wheel, the discovery of electricity or atomic energy, the Norman conquest of England, the crossing of the Rubicon, the dropping of the atomic bomb, the invention of flight. Many things would certainly come to mind, but I would suggest that the two most important events in the history of the world are those described by Paul in the fifth chapter of Romans, the fall of mankind into sin through Adam and his redemption through the second Adam, Jesus Christ. These were far and away the most important events in history. We are looking today at our roots, at the original parents of the human race. As devastating as the atom bomb was, it pales into insignificance compared to the atom bomb that exploded at the epicenter of this world, the Garden of Eden, many centuries ago. Because from that explosion, there has resulted the deaths of billions and billions of people. In fact, the deaths of all people who have ever died. Because it was through sin that death entered into the world. Now, how important is this biblical story of Adam and Eve? There are certainly those that have denied it and who have indeed wished that it would go away. Others who have blatantly said that they have disproved it. Why is it so important? Well, Richard Bozarth, an atheist, writing in The American Atheist, tells very clearly from their perspective why they feel it's so important. Quote, Christianity has fought, still fights, and will fight science. I would say it is not science. We rejoice in that. It is a pseudoscience that we would fight. To the desperate end over evolution, because evolution destroys utterly and finally the very reason Jesus' earthly life was supposedly made necessary. Destroy Adam and Eve and the original sin, and in the rubble you will find the sorry remains of the Son of God, small s, small g. You take away the meaning of his death. If Jesus was not the Redeemer who died for our sins, and this is what evolution means, he says, that Jesus is not the Redeemer who died for our sins, then, he continues, Christianity is nothing. What is the result of that fall into sin that we read about today? Let me let you hear it, first from a godly Christian, and secondly from a very brilliant atheist. Matthew Henry, the godly commentator on the Bible, said, Now, when it was too late, they saw the folly of eating forbidden fruit. They saw the happiness they had fallen from and the misery they had fallen into. 
They saw a loving God provoked, his grace and favor forfeited, his likeness and image lost, dominion over the creature gone. They saw their natures corrupted and depraved and felt a disorder within their own spirits of which they had never before been conscious. Conscious, They saw a a law in their members warring against the law of their minds and captivating them both to sin and wrath. They saw their dignity disgraced in the highest degree, laid open to contempt and reproach of heaven and earth and to their own consciences. This was the effect of the fall as perceived by a godly Christian minister. But listen to it from the pen of a brilliant atheist, skeptic, a professor of philosophy, a writer on science. I'm talking about C.E.M. Jode, J-O-A-D, one of the leading skeptics of England in this century, one of the most brilliant writers of our time, who in his latter days saw the utter folly of unbelief and its utter failure, and embrace Christ. But listen, listen to what he said, and you'll understand better what has happened, where the world has gone wrong. Quote, it is because we rejected the doctrine of original sin that we on the left were always being disappointed, disappointed by the refusal of people to be reasonable, Disappointed by the subservience of intellect to emotion. Disappointed by the failure of true socialism to arrive. Disappointed by the behavior of nations and politicians. By the masses' preference for Hollywood to Shakespeare and for Mr. Sinatra to Beethoven. And above all, disappointed by the recurrent fact of war. H.G. Wells uh, as so many at the end of the last century, which was a time of incredible optimism for the world, wrote some of the most glorious, optimistic prose imaginable about what was going to happen. But then there was the First World War, and then the Second. And H.G. Wells was greatly sobered by that, though an unbeliever. He said, in spite of all of my disposition to a brave-looking optimism, I perceive that now, The universe is bored with man, is turning a hard face toward him, and I see him being carried less and less intelligently and more and more rapidly along the stream of fate to degradation, suffering, and death. And you certainly can see that all around us today in our time. It all began with a covenant an agreement between God and man, where God drew a line and said that he was the creator, he was God, and man was the creature. Man was but but a human being, and there must be a line drawn. And so he said, you may eat freely of all of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat thereof, lest ye die. And then in that great decisive third chapter of Genesis, Satan came to the woman and said, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
So the first thing that he did was to begin to insinuate doubt concerning the word of God. Yea, hath God said. And so his followers down through the centuries have done the same. And they continue to do so today. Oh, is this really the word of God? And then the woman makes a blunder of her own. She begins by attempting to defend God. Oh, she says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, God didn't say that. He said nothing about touching it. And so she added on to the word of God. And so there have been people who have been adding to the word of God ever since. They add the traditions of men. They add the Book of Mormon. They add the writings of Mary Baker Eddy or the Brooklyn Organization for the Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, yes, we believe the Bible to be the word of God. Plus this or that or the other thing. And so this is a, another way to bury the word of God by addition, not by detraction. And then, seeing that he is making progress, he comes out with a blatant denial when she says that we're not to eat it or touch it lest we die. And then he says, oh, you shall not surely die. And I can just imagine him laughing when he says, where did you get an idea like that? You shall not surely die. And so today we have many people blatantly denying that the Bible is the word of God whatsoever. Or they say, there's no such place as hell. Don't you know that? It's been disproved. Now, that's fascinating. I just wonder how all of these people learned that. I have never discovered that. Did they go there and see, see a sign that said closed, out of business? I have never seen the slightest evidence, not one scintilla of evidence, that hell no longer exists. But the blatant denial still goes on. Ye shall not surely die. And then he moves from denial to slander. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You see, the reason that God gave you all of these commandments is because God is jealous. God is narrow. If you eat this, you'll be like God. And he's, he doesn't want that. And so how many people have said, oh, all of these commandments that God has given to us, they're because God is trying to keep us from really enjoying life. God doesn't want us to have fun. Not realizing that it is because of a loving God who knows that we will bring suffering and misery upon ourselves if we break them, wants to save us from those things. We break the law two by two, but we suffer one by one as many have discovered to their own great, great sorrow. God is a God of love. But Satan would portray him as a narrow, jealous God who doesn't want them to enjoy life. Here they've been given all manner of freedom, 
but they're not satisfied. She's not satisfied unless she can have absolute freedom, total license. Also, we see here that Satan holds before her the prospect that she shall become like God. And here is this ancient idea which is revived again in our time. That is the essence of the new age. When you boil it all down to the bottom line, you find that the essence of new ageism is that you can become God. And that's what all of these new age writers are proclaiming today. You can be autonomous. You can be a law unto yourself. Going all the way back, even as the humanist did, to Protagoras, who said that man is the measure of all things. Man will decide what is right and what is wrong. Man will decide what is good and what is evil, what is of value and what is not of value. Man will be God. And so Satan is still dangling that before the eyes and minds of men. It is a lie. It was a lie then. It is a lie now. What they took She took and she ate and she gave to her husband and he ate and they died. Oh, they died physically hundreds of years later, but spiritually they died that very hour. And there was a corruption that began to take place in their lives. And God pronounced a curse upon them and upon the world. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, he said to Adam. We have seen the incredible impact of that curse upon the world. We've seen how it affects society because of the fact that men have not believed this. As Jode said, they have rejected the doctrine of original sin and they have based all of their institutions. Every ungodly institution in the last hundred years has been based on the idea that man is good and not sinful. And we see that communism is based upon the idea that man was basically good and perfectible and they were going to bring about an earthly utopia. And it collapsed. Why did it collapse? Was it because of economic reasons? That was very significant. Was it because of political reasons? Very significant. But ultimately, beyond either of those, it was a theological reason. It was based upon a lie. And consequently, millions upon millions of people have suffered and died as a result. We see again today in our public education system as a whole, it's based upon a false idea, and therefore it is failing badly in our time. So whether they are political or educational or social systems, if they are anti-Christian, they are based upon this lie. And tragically, as many as 80% of the people in America in a recent survey said that they agreed with the statement, man is basically good. My friends, the social consequences of that heresy are inconceivable. Hundreds of millions of people have died because of systems based upon that erroneous conclusion. Why do we have the Constitution that we have? Because the Founding Fathers knew better. They knew that man was basically sinful, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's precisely why they tell us they divided 
the government into three different branches. That's precisely why they gave it select and few and enumerated powers and reserved all the rest to the states and the people because they wanted to protect mankind from mankind because they knew that man was basically evil and given too much power, you would have tyranny. And how many people have been so foolish in our time to lose sight of that? And we have seen incredible, malignant consequences as a result. But thank God he didn't leave us here. He gave us a promise. It's found in the 15th verse of the third chapter. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, the first good news. And that is that the seed of the woman would destroy the head of the seed of the serpent, that there would be a seed of the woman, which is Christ, the only one ever called the seed of a woman, who would come into the world and destroy the works of Satan, which Christ did upon the cross. You know, the whole Bible can be described in just three words. Generation, degeneration, regeneration. Generation in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. Degeneration in chapter 3. And regeneration is the story of all the rest of the Bible. But if we don't get chapter 3 right, we'll never understand the rest of Scripture. We are creatures, not gods. We are to obey the law of God. We're not autonomous. We are to do what God has commanded us to do. We are to seek to be clothed in his righteousness. We are to acknowledge our sin instead of blaming others as Adam and Eve both did. For inevitably following shame, there comes blame. And we are to trust in the graciousness of God who provided that seed of the woman who destroyed the head of the serpent. The second greatest fact in history is that Christ came and redeemed man from the effects of sin and from the dominion of death. I hope that you've experienced that redemption. If not, I urge you this day to put your trust in Christ, to rest upon him alone for your salvation, to receive him as Savior and Lord, to trust in his righteousness alone. Receive him. Trust in him. Be clothed in his righteousness, and you will rejoice with him forevermore. May we pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how great thou art, how great thou art, and how gracious thou art unto the sons of men. We thank you that you did not abandon us then, but sent your only Son. And Lord, I pray that if there are those here that do not have the assurance of eternal life, who do not know beyond any peradventure of a doubt that when they leave this world they will go to be with you forever, those that are trusting in their own strivings and in their own goodness, may they see that they are in Adam fallen and sinful creatures, and may they turn and seek thy mercy, saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Come into my heart right now. Clothe me with thy righteousness and make me thine own. In thy name, amen. I hope you prayed that prayer with Dr. Kennedy. And if you did, we have a special gift for you. 
it's beginning again, which is precisely what you're doing. As you read these pages and put them into practice, you begin to grow in your faith, something we must do if we are going to live the Christian life to the full. So don't miss out on receiving your copy of Beginning Again. Simply write to our address or call our toll-free number, and may God richly bless you. As Dr. Kennedy notes, the founders understood the idea that man is sinful, that power corrupts, and that absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is why our government has a system of checks and balances. However, when the entire nation seemingly turns its face from God, it's easy for the government to become corrupt. Nowhere is that more clear than in the increasing embrace of socialism in our nation, especially among the young. It's taught in our universities and public schools, and it's showing up at the ballot box where open socialists are now routinely winning elective office. That's why it's so important to know the truth and to be able to share it with others. We have developed a vital resource that you will not only want to get for yourself, but for your children and grandchildren who are increasingly under the sway of godless socialism. It's the new book, The Coming Socialist Wave, Biblical Answers to Socialist Lies. This important and practical book uncovers the lies of socialism and counters them with biblical truth. It features chapters showing that socialism impoverishes nations, is at war with the family, is at war with the church, and more. We will send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation to help this ministry continue producing programs like this one, as well as the other ongoing work of the ministry, as we stand for truth and defend your freedom. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free, 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org. And if you're able to give a donation of $50 or more, we will send you the book plus the new DVD, What's Wrong with Socialism? Featuring interviews with General Jerry Boykin of the Family Research Council, Dr. Albert Moeller of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Brigitte Gabriel, and others. This DVD also contains documentary features on the growing plague of socialism, especially among younger Americans, and how we can stop it. We will send you the DVD, What's Wrong with Socialism?, plus our newly published book, The Coming Socialist Wave, Biblical Answers to Socialist Lies, as our thanks for your generous donation of $50 or more. And you will be helping us investigate, document, and expose the socialist movement in America on programs like this, and helping us through our ongoing federal lawsuit against the corrupt Southern Poverty Law Center, and much, much more. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free, 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org. 
I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.